teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. It was March 29th, 1848. A very... Um, kind of eerie situation took place um, with the people that lived surrounding Niagara Falls. Some of you may have heard about this. The falls just ceased flowing. People woke up to this very eerie silence. No one really knew what was going on. And it lasted for almost 30 hours. Later, after all that time, the falls began to flow again, and so people found out that what happened upstream at Lake Erie, um, ice had gathered to such a point to where it had just basically stopped up the flow of the falls. And then after the ice melted, then, of course, the flow began to be as normal. But can you imagine for all of your lifetime hearing the roar, almost the subwoofers of the sound, and to wake up one morning and all of a sudden people were wondering what's, you know, what's happening? Well, when I think about this obstruction that took place, it causes me to ask a question that I want you guys to think about. This picture of this little guy with the water hose is one that's probably familiar to many of us. And I know it's probably happened to you. I know it's happened to me. There have been times you go out to the back to water the plants or to water the garden, and all of a sudden nothing's coming out of the hose. And the very first time this happened to me, I had no idea what was going on. But many of us now that experience, we know that probably what's happened, it's just been a crimp in the holes that has obstructed the flow of the water. And so what I want you to think about this morning is, is it possible that maybe that there is some obstruction in your own life that is obstructing the flow of God's Spirit flowing through you toward others. Think of this verse of Scripture, John chapter 7, verse 37 and following. It says, On the last day, the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. But watch this part. It says, Whoever, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. But here's the key, verse 39. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so it's all about the flow of God's Spirit. For us to be the men that God has called us to be, for us to be the fathers the husbands, the, uh, the, the grandfathers, the businessmen, the leaders, the teachers, 
that God has called us to be. There cannot be any obstructions flowing, allowing the flow or hindering the flow of God's Spirit. I'm reminded of that famous passage of Scripture in John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus said these famous words, Without me, you can do nothing. Maybe you've been guilty, as I have been guilty in many times, that you step into a situation, you step up to speak, you step up to teach, you step up to do something, and because you had experience in it, there's a tendency to, de to depend and lean too much on yourself. Well, that's not the case with um, our guy in Daniel. And so I want you to ask yourself this question as we get started. How much of life is flowing through you? How much of God's spirit is flowing through you? One of the things I'm hoping that maybe we can even deal with is to be able to even ask the question and, and to answer it. If there's anything in your life that's maybe obstructing God's flow, that you can repent of it, that you can confess it, that you can deal with it, that you can recognize what it is, because the truth is, no matter where all of us in this room are, none of us have arrived. None of us in this room are without struggles. Some of our struggles are greater than others, but we're all in the process of being the men that God has called us to be. And I want us to see ourselves as vessels. Vessels through which God wants to flow. Vessels to which God wants to actually use us in his kingdom to make a lasting impact. Oftentimes I uh, say to my wife, especially as I've gotten a little bit older, um, a few months ago I reached my 65th birthday and um, I realized that um, some of the things that I used to be able to do, I can't do any longer. Uh, I was one of those guys that I could shoot a 25-foot jump shot, you know, not like Stephen Curry or anybody like that, or James Harden, but I was pretty good. Well, now, you know, I'm out there, and, man, the knees are hurting, and I, I just can't do the stuff that I used to do. And so I'm recognizing more and more my mortality. I'm recognizing that maybe I have 25 years. That would be, what, 90, 30 years, 95, uh, maybe, maybe not. And so I'm constantly asking the question, much more than I did in my 20s and 30s and 40s, what type of legacy am I going to leave? What kind of impact am I going to make for the kingdom of God? Because I'm like you guys. I want to be able to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and I want to hear those famous words. I want him to say, Willie Bolden, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I think as long as I and you recognize that we are vessels for God's use, we'll be able to hear those words said in that day. Well, many of us know the story of Daniel. Daniel has been taken captive. Uh, he's been taken captive by the Babylonians. But by the time we get to our passage, Daniel chapter 6, a new king, a new leader, a new dictator is on the throne. It's no longer Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's Darius, the king, the Persian king. 
You know the story. Daniel even talked about it. He said to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, this statue that you're dreaming about is a picture of you. The head of the statue uh, represents you, Babylon. And then, but Babylon was going to be overthrown by the Persians. And then later, uh, the Persians were going to be overthrown by the Greeks. And then later, the Greeks were going to be overthrown by the Romans. But what's interesting, Daniel predicted that there's going to be a fifth kingdom. But this fifth kingdom will never be overthrown, and this fifth kingdom has a king that's kind of out of this world. You and I know who that king is and who that fifth kingdom is, and we're going to get a chance to participate. We're going to be a part of that fifth kingdom. And so by the time we get to Daniel chapter um, 6, we see that um, Daniel has been elected to be one of the key officials uh, in uh, King Darius's um, administration, and because they really didn't care for Daniel, they put together this plot to kill him. Notice what the text says. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself. Please underscore that in your mind. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the sitraps by his, his exceptional qualities. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He distinguished himself. And you and I know one of the key reasons why he distinguished himself is because he recognized he was a vessel for God to flow his spirit through him in his service. Verse 4 says, At that time the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they weren't able to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was, do you underscore that, trustworthy and neither corrupt nor what? Negligent. No corruption that they could find in his character. Would it be difficult? Or would it be easy to find corruption in your character? Could it be easy for someone to charge you being a corrupt official, a corrupt leader, a corrupt husband? He says, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. Watch this. Unless it was something to do with the law of his God. No charges. No way to get him unless we find something in relationship to his faith. We're going to get him. That's how we're going to have to get him. So it says, so these administrators and satraps went as a group. To the king and said, may, uh, may King Darius live forever. The royal administration's pre um, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Remember what they had said earlier? The only way that we can get him. It's going to have to have something to do with his faith. So look at what the plot is. You know, they knew that Daniel consistently prayed. They knew about his character. They knew him. 
And they said, so let's put together something about praying to someone other than you. Verse 8 says, now your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So in this little section, here's what I think we learned. They knew something about his character, which means it had been demonstrated for all to see. So character becomes a very, very critical thing for you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I tell you something that should be shocking to you? I hope it's shocking to you. We have this happen all the time. You have a great young man, a great young lady that graduates, walks across the stage from Dallas Theological Seminary, and then a year later, maybe two, year, two years later, you hear about a tremendous moral failure with this brother or with this sister. And you wonder, wait a minute, how could this happen? Let me shock you with one of the concerns I have, even at the seminary. With all the time that we spend teaching our students Greek and Hebrew, Old Testament history, New Testament history, theology, and all these things, we don't spend as much time as I think building the character of the students that enter the school. And knowledge is one thing. But to me, the most important thing of our lives is our character. Can we be trusted? Can we be, can we be dependent upon? When, when, things get, when, when things get hot, when things get tight, when difficulties come in our lives, when we're faced with difficult situations, can we easily bow to the pressures of life? They knew that Daniel was not that type of person. They knew his character. They knew the truth of who he was. And here's what I didn't know, that there's a big difference between identity and image. Image is often who we want people to think we are. But our, our identity is who we actually are. Are you operating in your image, who you want people to perceive you to be? As a pastor for almost 40 years, there have been many times I was guilty of thinking, well, this is how they think I should be. So that's the person I'll try to portray. But I knew when I looked at myself in the mirror that I was not that person. And after a while, you know, you can wear a mask only for so long, but after a while, who you really are in the, on the inside is going to come out. I'm going to tell you something that I don't often tell, guys, but I need to tell you. I just, I just sense I need to tell you. After pastoring for almost 35 years, my wife came to me one afternoon, and she says, Honey, she says, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, Loretta, what do you mean I can't do this anymore? She says, If I could just be a member of your church for one week, honey, I would be so happy because you give more of yourself to them than you do to myself and the kids. Guys, it was like taking a knife and sticking it in me and turning the knife. She said, I'm going to have to divorce you, honey, unless you change. See, the problem was that I had a mentor. My mentor was probably 20-something years my senior, and here's what my mentor told me as a young 29-year-old, as a young 30-year-old pastor for the first time. He says, young man, once you become a pastor, you're married to the church. 
It says, whatever sacrifices your family has to make for you, that's what it's all about. That's just what you have to do. And so working 70, 80 hours a week, 90 hours a week at the church, being at the church at 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock at night was no big deal. It was normal to me. But I didn't realize the track meet I missed, the soccer games I missed, the piano recitals I missed, the PTAs I missed. So finally she said, We've got to make a decision. It's either myself and the kids or it's the church. And guys, that conversation was the impetus to my doctoral dissertation. And here's the title of it. Equipping pastors to make their home their first priority. And now everywhere I've gone since that point, I've gotten a chance to talk to many pastors and their wives. And you would be shocked if I told you that there's so many pastors that have made a decision. She lives, she sleeps in that bedroom, he sleeps in that bedroom. They put on this facade for the church that everything is all right, but the marriage died many years ago. Or talk to that pastor's wife who wishes she had someone to talk to who wishes that she can let someone know how much her and her husband are struggling because he's spending so much time at the church, but she's fearful. She doesn't want to hurt his ministry, so who does she talk to? Who can she confide in? Who can he talk to? I was so thrilled one day to hear Chuck Swindoll say that once a year, he and three guys, three of his most intimate friends, they get together in an undisclosed location somewhere here in the United States. And those four guys are accountability partners. And Chuck Swindoll says they can ask each other any question. Have your eyes been viewing anything, Chuck, that you shouldn't? Have your ears been? Chuck, what's your relationship with Cynthia? What's your relationship with your kids? What's your relationship with your grandkids? What's going on at, at the church? That level of transparency. And I just wonder, I just wonder, do you have that level of transparency with any man? That level of accountability that he can ask you any question about your life, and you'll be honest. Daniel was a man of character. He knew who he was. He wasn't trying to be anyone else. They knew the words he spoke were consistent. They knew how he lived every day. They knew that Daniel was trustworthy and that he could not be corrupted. He could not be bought. I don't know where you are. In this political season, I don't know where you are even on the political spectrum, but I wonder sometimes, is it easy for some of these political leaders to be bought? I'll vote for you, I'll endorse you, but you make sure now when you get in office, don't forget what you promised that you do for me. They knew Daniel could not be corrupted. I want you to ask this question. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would they have to let you go? <laughs> so I'm saying, don't be a secret agent Christian on your job. You don't have to be. It can be done. You can still be a man of integrity, a man of impeccable character. And, you can, and it can be done in such a way to where you don't do anything 
that hurts your company. You can still be a godly man on your job. And so when you walk in the room, the Bible says when light enters a room where there's darkness, the room should be illuminated. You don't listen to the same jokes. You don't, you're not involved in the same level of conversation. It's not that you're better than the other guys in your office, but they need to know that you're different than them. Why? There's going to come a time when that guy's really hurting. He may not be a believer in Jesus Christ, but he knows you are a man of integrity. He knows that you are a man of prayer. He knows that you are a man of character. And so when he's hurting, guess who he's going to approach? He's going to approach you. Say, will you pray for me? Pray about my kids. Pray about the struggles that my wife and I are having. Pray about our financial situation. And so what happened? They carry out the plot. Verses 10 through 18. Here's what it says. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what did he do? He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open <laughs> toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Remember, remember what the decree was? If there's any prayer to any other one, he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying, found Daniel praying, oh, they must have been somewhere close hiding just to see if he was doing it so they could bring up a charge. They found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, and they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the lions, to the den of lions? The king answered and said, this thing is true. He's, 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 he's painting himself in a corner now. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king that, that Daniel, who is one of those captives from Judah, does not show you due regard, or rather show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, watch this, because he really loved Daniel, was greatly displeased within himself and said in his heart to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. But he's already in trouble. The law has been signed. It cannot be altered. Verse 15 says, Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So what? The king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him to the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, this is interesting. Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. How you guys like that? <laughs> then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the sickness of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace. Look at this. He spent the night Fasting. No musicians, what, were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. So he's fasting. He can't sleep because he's concerned about Daniel. But remember the statement, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Here's some things that you guys may already know. Jerusalem was the place where Solomon's temple uh, stood, an edifice that had symbolized the presence of Yahweh. 
So that was part of the reason why Daniel turned toward Jerusalem to pray, because as a little boy, he had been trained that this is, how, this is what you're supposed to do. And I think of that verse in Proverbs where it says, train up a child in the way that that child should go. And what does it say, guys? And when he's old, he will not depart. Sometimes when I look at my sons and I look at my grandchildren, I wonder, are they being trained in the way that they should go? Are they being trained in the biblical way? Are those values that were instilled in my sons and in my daughters, are they now being instilled in my grandchildren? I wonder about that because sometimes when the grandchildren come over and I question them and I ask them, many of the questions, many of the things that I'm looking for, I'm not hearing from my grandchildren. So I'm wondering, are they training their children up in the way that they should go? What a shame. You guys remember the book of Judges where it says, in those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That whole generation, Joshua's whole generation, after that there was nothing. No legacy. Nothing had been left to that next generation. We all know what happened. So he prayed for God's favor. Instead of being paralyzed by fear, he prayed for courage in light of his convictions. Courage in light of his convictions. But what if he had no biblical convictions? You see, it's only when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, in difficult situations, where we really find out the depth of our convictions. And guys, so I'm asking you, I'm asking myself, When those moments come, will I yield to my convictions or will I succumb to my fears and the pressures that are put on me by maybe my supervisor or maybe even by the society? So what did he do? He went to his room, which was upstairs where he knew the sign would travel. He opened the windows and prayed three times just as he had done before, teaching us that our relationship and communication with God should not be hindered by our situation and by our circumstances. Now I thought of these verses of scripture that I thought might be helpful to you guys. Hebrews 13, 5, let your, let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that exactly what Daniel needed in that situation? Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Second, First Samuel, he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. Finally, Psalms 31:20, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Daniel knew that the Lord was going to protect him, so he maintained his convictions. And so finally, God's protection of Daniel. The text says, the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. Can you kind of picture it in your mind? The king spoke, saying, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, is that being said about you? Whom you serve continually, not just on Sunday, not just on Thursday mornings, 
Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Look what Daniel says. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Daniel says, I realize what happened. I was innocent in the eyes of God, and I was innocent even in your eyes. That's why I was delivered. And the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command that they brought these men who had accused Daniel they cast them into the den of lions. Them, watch this, their children and their wives. Sounds almost kind of like that guy in the book of Joshua, chapter 6. You remember the guy named Achan who stole the stuff in Jericho? And what happened? Stoned them and then set them on fire. And after they did that, they went up and the next battle they won. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So here's what I think we can learn from these few verses. Miracles are not done by God to show off, but to demonstrate to a lost world that he is the true God and should be honored. Two, neither was Daniel delivered primarily for his own benefit, but so that the Lord could manifest to a lost king and a lost world his reality and power. When God does something, he doesn't always necessarily do it just for us. Yes, we get a chance to participate in it, but it's primarily done for his own glory. In this story, faithfulness is exemplified. Daniel was faithful even in his old age. Daniel was faithful in prayer. Daniel was faithful in the midst of his trials. Daniel was given a powerful testimony for his Faithfulness. Think about this. Now for the rest of his lives, as he's going on the speaking circuit, <laughs> Daniel could say, guys, let me tell you about something that happened to me a few years back. <laughs> I was working for the king. <laughs> the situation happened. Some guys accused me of some things unjustly. I got thrown in the lion's den, and unbelievably, you might not believe it, but let me tell you, the lions never touched me, but the people that accused me, they were thrown in, and their families, and the Lord spared my life. And I'm sure Daniel said, I believe the very thing that happened to me could happen to you as well. And so finally, back to what we started with. Are you drinking from the source? Because remember this verse again? On the last day, the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Who let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink? Come to me and drink. What he's basically saying, come. The Spirit of God is now available for you. Come. Drink of the Spirit. And as you drink of the Spirit, there will be nothing that you will be unable to do. Remember Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. As I yield myself to the Spirit of God, there shall be nothing impossible for me to do. And here's the deal that I've come to the realization. I like this one. God will never ask you to do something that he has not provided the capacity to achieve. 
he's asking you to start that business, if he's asking you to start that ministry, he's not going to ask you to do something that he hasn't always or already equipped you to be able to accomplish it. So finally, this is all he asks of us. What he asked of Daniel is what he's asking of us this morning. Trust him and obey. I may have told you guys, but let me close with this. I remember the time in high school that um, I was playing basketball, and as I told you earlier, I could shoot a pretty good 20-foot jump shot. Of course, this is way back in the Stone Age, the three-point <laughs> shot. The three-point shot, I mean, how, how long ago it was, they still, we had canvas uh, all-stars, anyone remember back in the Stone Age? Okay. And uh, so, play with the stone. <laughs> play with the stone. Yeah, we shot the stone in the basket, that's right. And so, I was pretty good. Good to the point that teachers wanted to make sure that I was eligible to play. So I kept getting passed and passed and passed. But here's the problem, guys. I'm 17 years old, a diploma in my hand, but I couldn't read. 17-year-old, diploma in my hand, but struggled with C, spot, run, run, James, run, Dick. So five years later, I give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm scared to death. Because now they tell me I'm going to have to study so I can grow. And I don't want to tell the man who had led me to the Lord, Sir, this King James Bible that you've given to me, I can't read it. But can I tell you something? As God's my witness, I'm telling you the truth. God took me from not being able to read to being able to read between three to 400 words a minute, a supernatural miracle. Never went to Evelyn Woods, never went to any training. I finally read my first book in my life. It was a book by a man named Hal Lindsey, Satan is Alive and Well, on planet Earth. Anyone remember that book back in the day? Because how could I ever go to seminary how could I ever get a master's and a doctor's degree if I don't know how to read? How could I ever stand up before men in warrior's heart and speak to them and teach if I don't know how to read? Remember when I said, if God is calling you to do something, he will not call you to do something and not also empower you to do it. So I'm standing before you, a man who knows beyond the shadow of any doubt, not just with the story of Daniel, I know modern-day miracles that he will do when he wants to use you in ministry. Don't let anything obstruct the flow of God's spirit. Uncrimp that water hose and let his spirit flow freely through you. Father, thank you for my brothers in Christ this morning. Lord, as we look at the life of Daniel, clearly, 
We know at that time the Spirit of God would come upon someone to accomplish a task. And once that task was over, the Spirit would leave. We saw it in Samson's life. Lord, we see it in Daniel's life. Spirit empowered him to be able to serve, to be able to be taken from his home, to be given a new name, to be taught a new language, to be under the service of a ruler. And yet you exalted him in the eyes of two different kings and you put him in a place of leadership so that your name would still be glorified even in the midst of that culture. But they knew he was a man of integrity. They knew he was a man who was faithful to you, O God. And you empowered him to serve in a mighty way. Now here we are, men alive in 2016. We don't know how much longer we have. It could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be 20 or 30. We don't know how much longer we have to live on this earth. But Lord, we pray that while we are here, the time that we have left, that we would be men of character. We would be men that don't wear a mask. That we would be men that are faithful to you in spite of any circumstance or situation. Bless us not just for the rest of this day, but for the rest of our lives. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day. Your heart's in the set you free inside.